to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. There are six major mistakes that can be made when doing an elimination diet to identify your food sensitivities. And today we're going to be going over all six of them. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show, hosted by a medical doctor with a different spin on women's health. And one of my superpowers is taking complex information distilling it into understandable information that you can start actioning out right away for immediate results in your health. And today we're going to be talking about the top six mistakes made during an elimination diet that you want to avoid at all costs because these mistakes can result in you either not being able to complete the elimination diet or ending up on a super restricted and therefore unhealthy diet. There's so many people who do the elimination diet and they end up restricting all of these uh, foods that could actually be quite healthy for them. And then it can be really sad um, the way that you end up, uh, you know, not enjoying your life because you're missing out on, on the impact of these healthy foods and on the taste and variety of these foods. So if you are in my free uh, Facebook group for women called Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, and you're joining me live today, please put in your name and your comments. I'm happy to answer your questions. That's one of the many um, advantages of joining that amazing group of women in this Facebook group. So I'll keep an eye on the comments to see if I make sure I don't make, make any, um, uh, miss any questions. So first, let's start off with Mistake number one. Mistake number one is something that we're taught in medical school very frequently when we're about to perform any kind of skill or procedure, which is everything is 80% preparation and 20% execution. So some people start off and they're like, they jump right into the elimination diet. They're so excited to start off and they eliminate all of these foods uh, like gluten and soy and corn and sugar and coffee and wine. Um, but then they're not prepared actually to complete the elimination diet. For example, they don't have any idea what kind of foods they should be eating. What are some great recipes that they can use? What can they have for breakfast? Since a lot of breakfast foods get eliminated if you're avoiding gluten and oats and nuts for a period of time, right? Because a lot of people have food sensitivities too oats and nuts as well. So it's really important that you have a resource like the personalized uh, diet solution book. Um, and what you want to do is you want to read your resource, whether it's the book or something else or additional resources from front to back before 
before you start the elimination diet. You also want to go and do your shopping. You want to get your grocery list and get all of your foods ready. You want to organize your pantry and get rid of any tempting foods that will stick around and be really hard to execute like on week three of the elimination phase when you're craving that food and yet you still can't have it. If it's still in the house, chances are you're not going to be able to fully complete the elimination diet because in that elimination phase, those first four weeks, it's really, really important that you keep those foods out of your diet or else they can really confuse things for you and you don't know what, you know, if you're if a health concern you're experiencing would have showed up on its own or if it's because you had, um, you know, a bite of that food that you weren't supposed to. So really, really important to do 80% preparation and 20% execution. Okay, so mistake number two is that you start the elimination diet before a very tempting time of the year. So, you know, people who start the elimination diet before Christmas, or maybe Thanksgiving is a big deal for you and you started before Thanksgiving or your birthday's coming up and you started before your birthday. Um, that's really gonna be very difficult for you to navigate. And it's not to say that you can't. Um, traveling is another tough one. The reality is that it is very hard to find a very long stretch of time in the year where you, um, you know, don't have anything coming up that will be tempting. So it's not that you're trying to find a stretch of time that has no temptation. I don't even know if that exists, but you want to be very realistic with yourself and say, you know what, um, Christmas is just really impossible for me to stick to. Um, a different kind of food plan than what my family is eating. So I'm just going to wait to do it after Christmas. It's a great New Year resolution, you know, a great time to start. Or maybe, you know, if you're in the U.S. and you have um, spring break, which is typically in March in Canada, maybe you're going to start it in April because that you'll have come back from your trip during that time. So choose for you the time during which you are most likely to stick the plan. Now, if you are super motivated because you are done experiencing your health concerns, like for me, when I had my food sensitivity and it was triggering my dermatitis, my rash around my eyes and around my nose, I was like, I am willing to do anything I can to get rid of this food sensitivity. So I just dove right in with the elimination diet and I, um, you know, weathered all of the days, the dates and the holidays and the events. And I just simply did my best. Um, you know, if I went to a restaurant, I would choose a sushi restaurant and just not get anything that was batter fried. I wouldn't use a soy sauce, which has wheat in it. Um, I asked them to cook, um, you know, to stir fry my vegetables in sesame seed oil instead of canola or corn oil, which is unfortunately what they commonly use in um, Asian restaurants these days, rather than their traditional, um, you know, heritage sesame seed oil, which is healthful, versus these other vegetable seed oils, which are potentially uh, inflammatory and uh, are on the no-no list for the um, uh, personalized diet uh, solution uh, book resources of foods not to eat. So we exclude vegetable seed oils. So you know, eating out at restaurants unless you are very specific. And I have actually gone um, to a chef or called the restaurant before to not be, you know, avoid any embarrassment in the restaurant and say, you know, I have a food sensitivity to vegetable seed oils. 
is it possible for you to cook my food in olive oil or sesame seed oil or even some, you know, some very high end restaurants will have like duck fat. Uh, if you're not vegetarian or vegan, that can be a really great alternative. So like an animal fat, um, you know, really what you want to do is keep your diet really clean during those four weeks of the elimination phase and ideally beyond, which we'll get to. Uh, and one of that clean eating part is to avoid the vegetable seed oil. So you really do want to put in the work and make sure that you are choosing a good time of year. And again, um, you know, this also relates to the mistake number one, no 80% preparation. You do want to call around to some restaurants and really figure out where can you eat out and not worry about sneaky foods that you're trying to avoid getting into your diet. Okay. Uh, so if you have any questions, please put them in the comments. I am monitoring that just to make sure. And I see I have some viewers. So hello, thank you for joining. It's great to see you today. Um, now we have mistake number three, is that people um, will overly decrease their food diversity during the elimination diet. So what do I mean? What I mean is, um, let's say, for example, you can still eat apples, right? Vegetables and fruits. And uh, what people will do is they'll say, okay, I can eat vegetables. And they'll eat, you know, four different kinds of vegetables, maybe carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, and cabbage, right? Um, and they'll have fruits and they'll eat like apples and bananas. Well, this is a really great time to increase, work on increasing your food diversity. And what's interesting is it can be very, um, a very specific strategy, for example, is with apples. So did you know? that every different kind of apple has a different kind of phytonutrient. So a different nutrient profile that is specific to that fruit. So if you want to increase diversity on the elimination diet during a time when you're restricting your foods, so you know, you're increasing diversity while you're restricting the foods that you can eat during that elimination phase, is you go out and you buy a variety of different kinds of apples. So you might buy a couple of Fuji apples, a couple of Spartan, a couple of Gala, a couple of Ambrosia. And so you're increasing your food diversity. The same thing can be said about um, vegetables. So maybe this is a time to be a little bit adventurous and try making different uh, vegetables like okra, bok choy, kale, mustard greens, collards, um, you know, those kinds of foods, uh, maybe these are foods that you normally don't eat, but it's a great time to start introducing them in. You can also have variety with herbs. So adding in uh, cilantro and dill and parsley. And so this is really, really important because you want to make sure that your food, your body is well nourished during this elimination phase. And what I will say is I will add this in is another mistake is that people think that it's some kind of like calorie counting diet and it's not. During the elimination diet, it's not about restricting how much food you eat or counting the calories. The primary goal is you want to identify your food sensitivities and eliminate the foods that harm your gut and cause them in the first place like the processed foods, the vegetable seed oils, um, too much simple sugars, hidden sneaky sugars in processed foods, those sorts of things. So, you know, that's enough to take on during the elimination diet. 
And some people say, well, um, how do I not, uh, you know, I have a history of disordered eating or I don't want to develop disordered eating. And the thing about um, there are different kinds of disordered eating. And one of them is to restrict the amount of food that you eat or to calorie restrict. And again, this is not what you're doing on the elimination diet. You can eat as much as you want, so long as it's from the okay foods to eat list. And again, if you're not doing mistake number one, you're properly prepared and you have a very comprehensive foods to eat list. And if you look at that personalized diet solution book, you will see that there's actually quite a few foods you can eat. You might even want to diversify your animal meat, you know, do a bit of fish, a bit of chicken, a bit of lamb, a little bit of goat, beef, elk, bison, right? If you're, if you're, um, if you're not vegetarian or vegan, and if you're pescatarian, maybe you try different kinds of fish. So it's all about, um, you know, diversifying your foods. Feel like you're overly restricted during what is, in the end, a very short phase, right? The elimination phase, the 100% elimination phase is for four weeks. Um, but you do want to make sure that it is not something that, you know, your body suffers during that time. This leads us to mistake number four, which is actually probably one of the worst mistakes that people can make, which is they don't eliminate the foods that actually caused or probably caused the food sensitivity in the first place. Um, you know, if you've been listening along, what you've been learning is that a lot of these food sensitivities are caused due to a uh, damage to the lining of our gut. And we know that in terms of the foods that can cause damage to the lining of the gut, what the research is definitely showing is that the um, chemicals like additives, preservatives, emulsifiers, and food colorants that the food scientists have added to our packaged foods, they didn't know this when they were adding these in, but what we now know is that these foods harm our health, and part of that harm happens because they actually go in to the body and hurt the lining of our gut. The lining of our gut is like a coffee filter. It's very thin and delicate. It's meant to let the good food in and keep the bad stuff out of our body. And when it gets damaged, um, things start to get into our body like undigested food particles and you start to develop your food sensitivities. So for example, here's a common um, mistake that I see is that you have your list and the list says, you know, no gluten. So then the person will go and buy a gluten-free protein bar for example, or a um, gluten-free protein powder, or a gluten-free bread, you know, just fill in all of those gluten-free products and they're packaged and they're processed. And if you actually look at the ingredient list, they do have those preservatives, emulsifiers, food colorants, basically any ingredient that you don't really recognize as being a real food. So if you see things like sodium benzoate or polysorbate 80 or um, xanthan gum, guar gum, these are all things that could potentially be, um, you know, harming your gut. And so you do not want to keep those in your diet thinking that, well, I'm eliminating gluten so I can eat all of these gluten-free foods. No, when you're saying you're going to eat gluten-free foods, those are things like, you know, whole grain quinoa, properly cooked and prepared, um, white basmati rice, whole grain, not in a flour, not in a protein bar, not in a protein powder. 
um, or pea protein powders, all of these things, right? You really want to get your diet super, super clean. It's an opportunity to heal the gut. And what you want to do is you do you want to keep those foods out of your diet for life. So, um, you know, some foods you'll be reintroducing like, um, you know, sourdough, um, whole wheat bread to see if, you know, you're reacting to a healthy form of gluten, um, you know, a good quality um, you know, full fat yogurt with no added sugars or weird um, flavors like um, chemical flavorings. Um, you know, do you react to that kind of healthy form of dairy? But you don't want to be reintroducing any kinds of packaged foods um, or too much simple sugars like too many candies or sweets or the hidden sugars in packaged foods. Because what will happen is that your food sensitivities will improve while those are eliminated because your gut lining does heal. But if you reintroduce those foods again, uh, gut harming foods like the processed foods and simple sugars, your food sensitivities will come back, right? So if you do the elimination diet and your food sensitivities come back, what you really want to look for is, did I reintroduce or did I keep in the foods that were harming my gut health in the first place? Okay, mistake number five, improper plant food prep so that you react to the anti-nutrients, which is not a true food sensitivity. So let me explain this. Um, you know, if you have been exposed to some of my teachings before, this will not be news to you, but I'm going to assume that you've never heard of this before, and I'm going to explain this to you. A lot of the foods that we eat um, in terms of plants have nutrients in them, which we all know are really good for us. And they also have anti-nutrients in them, which Mother Nature put in the plants as the plant's only form of defense mechanisms from being overeaten in nature by animals like insects. So from the beginning of time, plants could not run away from their predators like insects. Insects were their first earliest predators that would come and eat the seeds, eat the leaves, you know, and Mother Nature is like, well, we have to put in a mechanism from these seeds and leaves not being overeaten. So it put in these anti-nutrients and their natural plant chemicals called uh, oxalates and lectins and phytic acid and saponins. And all of these um, anti-nutrients, um, when humans came along and started eating a lot of plants, over time, us humans had to learn how to naturally process the plants so that the anti-nutrient content would go down so we could eat plants in large amounts. And so these are um, ancient traditional food preparation methods like soaking your whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds before you cook them or before you dry them out and either eat them whole or turn them into a flour. Sprouting also decreases anti-nutrients uh, fermenting decreases anti-nutrients, which is why um, sourdough bread is so much better than regular bread, why in many cultures it's fermented soy products rather than non-fermented soy products. So, you know, miso and tempeh are fermented soy products, which is what allows these cultures to eat them in large amounts without harming their gut health. In Asian cultures, and in, uh, for example, where I was born in Brazil, we always soaked our 
um, white rice before cooking it for at least about eight hours. Uh, we soak our beans um, even before pressure cooking them. So the soaking plus the cooking was very important to be able to have these foods in the amounts that we uh, consume them on a regular basis, right? In Brazil, for example, we ate, we eat, uh, it was customary anyways to eat rice and beans every day. In uh, other South American cultures, it's the same. In Asian cultures, it's very similar. Um, basically, in various cultures around the world, it's normal to get a lot of your nutrients from whole grains and beans and nuts and seeds. And if you go back and you look at um, how they historically prepared their foods, there was the soaking, sprouting, and fermenting. Um, soaking more so than everything else, but definitely a lot of fermenting too. And the thing is, we have lost those traditions over time. Uh, they used to be handed down from grandmother to daughter, you know, to mother to daughter, and the cycle would continue. And especially in modern North America, those practices have been lost, even with quinoa. Quinoa in Peru was, is a very specific preparation method. So in the plant, uh, in the personalized diet solution, um, I give some general pointers on how to do that. However, if you want to dive into it much deeper, then a companion book would be the plant protein solution. Because what's really cool is when you do some specific things to your plants, not only do the anti-nutrients go down, but the nutrients go up. So um, the protein becomes more available to the body. So plants have a lot of protein. It's just that most of it is, not most of it, but a good portion of it is not available to be absorbed into the human body. And we need to do these ancient methods of food preparation in order to properly um, absorb uh, the protein and the zinc and the magnesium and the iron and the calcium that is locked inside of these plants. Even plants like kale, there's a lot of talk about kale having oxalates, and that can be harmful. But did you know that when you cook kale in some water, the oxalates drain out of the kale into the water, and you drain the water, and now you have a very healthful, not gut-harming food that you can eat. And uh, some people can still react to kale, perhaps, but generally speaking, those kinds of food preparation methods can be very, very helpful to maintain the health of your gut. So I hope that this was clear. Definitely put your questions in the comments if it wasn't. Um, and I will continue to the next mistake, the, la uh, the last mistake. Um, and so now it's a good time to start putting in your questions if you have any, if you've been attending live. So the mistake number six, and this is the one that can really lead to a person ending up on a very restricted diet, but you know, they end up uh, finishing the elimination diet and they're like, well, I can, I can't eat, you know, dairy and I can't eat gluten and I can't, you know, this and that. Um, but what, what people don't realize is that, um, that that's an elimination of a food group, but within each food group, there is what is what I will call a food Type. So let's take dairy as a really great example. So you start off with milk, and a lot of people have a sensitivity to milk, like they they can't tolerate drinking milk. Maybe it's actually an intolerance, like a lactose intolerance, or maybe it's a sensitivity. It could be an allergy to the protein, which is like a cow's milk allergy, which is a fairly you know it can be a fairly quick reaction, or a sensitivity to the protein, like casein or whey, 
which can be a bit more of a longer term reaction. It shows up a little bit later. And so they try, they try adding milk. And what happens is that they don't, they don't react well. And they're like, well, I, I don't do well with dairy. But what they don't know is that maybe actually they're okay with butter, right? Because milk can be churned and turned into butter. And that natural processing method actually makes it so that certain components of um, the milk breaks down and it becomes tolerable to the person. Maybe um, they can't tolerate milk, but they can tolerate yogurt, right? You know, so, um, and again, you want it to be a good quality uh, full fat yogurt. The reason I say full fat is because often low fat yogurts have a lot of sugar added to them to replace the taste and texture lost by removal of the fat. Um, you know, the kind of fat that you find in yogurt is a healthy kind of fat in moderation that helps you build your brain and build your hormones, which need fat as a building block. Uh, so, you know, if you're having yogurt in moderation um, and you're wondering what kind of yogurt to try when you're reintroducing foods, a nice full fat, like a Greek style yogurt, you know, a Probiotics can be part of the, if it's fermented, what you don't want is those added emulsifiers um, and added sugar. So definitely look at the ingredient list. And again, in the personalized diet solution, there are some really handy lists that are available uh, for you to go through and make sure that you're buying the right kind of food and not adding back in those gut harming foods. Um, and then let's say you've tried butter, you know, and you, and you have to try each food type for a week. So you try, you add in butter and you test that for a week. Then you add in yogurt and you test that for a week, right? And then you add in cheese, right? And the right kind of cheese, like, you know, orange cheddar cheese, sometimes the orange color is from a chemical added in and maybe your food sensitivities to the chemical and not to the cheese itself. So get a really good quality cheese. Um, some people are better with the unpasteurized raw cheeses from places like France. Um, you know, pregnant women can't, should not eat those cheeses, but um, you know, if you're not pregnant, you definitely give that a go. And in small amounts, that might be just the thing. And the other mistake people make is that they think that it's like, you know, all or nothing like, oh, I added in yogurt and I had it every day and I don't do well with it. Or I added in eggs and I had it every day and I don't do well with it. Well, with food sensitivities, the dose matters. So if you add in eggs every day, for example, and you find that you react to it, like you get gas and bloating, for example, right? What you might want to do is first say, okay, well, what if I, um, you know, take it out again and then reintroduce it, but at a lower dose, like maybe once a week, how, how do I do with that? Maybe it's one egg twice a week. How do I do with that? So you want to find the dose of a certain kind of food, right? And each food will be different. Maybe you can have a little bit of butter every day, but you can have yogurt twice a week, right? And the more diverse you keep your food, the less likely you're going to develop a food sensitivity to it because the dose does matter. People tend to develop food sensitivities to the food that they're eating the most because the body loves variety. So you need to give it variety to reduce the risk of you developing a food sensitivity again in the future, like a return of one or a new one developing in the future. Okay. And I'm going to say, I'm going to add in one bonus mistake, which is they, uh, people eliminate a food. They say, oh yeah, I don't do well with uh, cheese, like not doing well with cheese or eggs. I just don't do well with eggs even once a week. It's not working for me. And then they eliminate it for life. 
Now, the thing is that the gut lining heals within a few days, but the immune system's response to the food, which is what causes the food sensitivity, um, you know, about 50% of that immune response improves in four weeks, but that still leaves another 50% to be um, cleared out of your body. And some people clear that out faster than others. So what I recommend is keeping a list of the foods that you could not eliminate, that you had to eliminate, that you didn't tolerate, and then give your body three months or maybe six months, and then try reintroducing that one food again. See how you do with it. And that way, you're always kind of testing the waters to see, you know, is it good now? Is it okay now? Right? So let me see here. I have some uh, questions that um, come up with this um, uh, presentation. So question number one uh, from Facebook user, do you have an ebook with information that can pro on properly doing an elimination diet with foods that can be eaten? Absolutely. Um, I have a book called The Personalized Diet Solution, which is a complete guide to the elimination diet in order to uh, remove gut harming foods and identify your food sensitivities. So you can heal your gut and your hormones because the two are connected. And don't you worry, it's being released um, very soon, depending on when you're watching this. If you're watching this live, we are um, in the final stages of preparation. And I'll be sure to let my Facebook group um, members to know first so you can pre-order it. It's coming out very, very soon. So thank you for your question. The next question is, um, again, from a Facebook user. I really feel like I need to do one, but I need more guidance so I make sure to do it right. Absolutely. I 100% agree. That's why I created the Personalized Diet Solution, as well as an optional companion course with additional information and guidance for those who feel like they need a bit more support. Um, and again, that will be coming out soon, and I will keep you posted. And the another Facebook user is asking a great question. What about Greek non-fat plain yogurt? So yeah, again, it really depends. Like um, oftentimes the label is very misleading. You have to look at the ingredient list. And uh, if there's no hidden sugars, uh, no natural flavors added, which Natural flavors is a tricky one because it seems like it would be healthy because it has the word natural flavors. But these flavors can are um, chemically extracted from natural foods. And they are put together in a combination determined by a food chemist. So, for example, um, vanilla, right? Like, let's say you get a vanilla bean. You can either extract the vanilla from the vanilla bean, and then you're left with the vanilla extract, which is the actual vanilla bean in an extract, or you can do what's called a natural flavor, where you identify different um, flavors uh, that when put together, and these different flavors can come from many different sources, um, and when put together, it almost like it tastes very much like vanilla, but it's not actually vanilla. And the process of extracting that flavor was a chemical one. So they used chemicals to extract them. So some people actually have a problem with these natural flavors. So I love it when things are flavored by real food. Um, essential oils is another way to flavor things um, you know, naturally or to actually just have that real food in it. So real licorice, real vanilla, that kind of thing. Otherwise, it's what's called the Dorito effect. You can eat a Dorito, 
that tastes like a burrito. And it's um, it, the flavor comes from natural flavors, but it's not actually a burrito that's in your Dorito, if you know what I mean. So that's the difference between uh, natural flavors. So read your ingredient list on your Greek non-fat plain yogurt and just make sure that there's none of that and no emulsifiers. Fat is a natural emulsifier that is healthy for your body. When you remove the fat, they often add in chemical emulsifiers. And a recent study was done on a group of healthy individuals, and they were given, divided into two groups. One was given um, a uh, regular diet, and another one was given the same diet, but with a commonly used emulsifier added to their diet. I think it was like a reasonable dose, 15 grams a day. They had to do that because it was a short-term study. So you really want to see the effects on the gut. And they found that it hurt the health of the gut. It hurt the health and function of the gut microbiome, which are the organisms that live within our gut and help protect the health of our gut. And in some individuals, even though it was a short study, they even started to see inflammation in the lining of the gut, which is really bad that starts to also affect your ability to break down and absorb your healthy foods. So personally, I like to stick to things as close to how nature created it. Full fat Greek yogurts, um, you know, you should be eating in small amounts anyways, not in massive amounts. And so that fat can be really helpful to build your hormones and build your brain. Your brain is 60% fat and all of your sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone need fat as a building block. So don't be afraid of fat. That's one direction that we really went down the wrong path. Yes, there are bad kinds of fat like vegetable seed oils. Um, you shouldn't have too much um, stiff fats. Like, you know, go easy on your coconut oils and your butters, which are stiff at room temperature. They are healthy, but in small amounts compared to the larger amounts of more fluid oils that you can have like um, organic extra virgin olive oil, sesame seed oil, which has a really nice high smoke point, really good for sauteing with as well. Um, avocado oil, um, those are really the healthy oils that you want to stick with. And then animal fats, again, in small amounts and in moderation. Whole topic for another day. So uh, Facebook user is saying, uh, are natural spices also not good, like natural flavors, or are they okay? Natural spices are wonderful. They are created by Mother Nature. Um, they have a lot of nutrients in them. Um, you know, not like they do have carbohydrates and all those things, but actually the nutrients and spices are what are called phytonutrients or um, phytophenols. Um, they're really amazing molecules that go into the body and help the body uh, detoxify. Uh, they help the body repair your DNA, fight off cancer cells. So the variety in your diet can come from spices. Some people react to certain spices. Um, one particular group is the nightshade family. So um, pepper, right? So black pepper could be a problem. Some people react to spices like um, cayenne. So just be attentive to how your body is responding. But turmeric, uh, oregano, rosemary, dill, cilantro, you know, um, paprika, all of these things are generally well tolerated, but you do have to pay attention to your body language and really make sure that you are noticing how your body is responding to these foods. 
So fantastic uh, questions. Um, and so a clarification on the question, I mean, if it's listed as natural spices, not in general. Um, you know, I have never seen, so if you mean they put in the word oregano, uh, then yes, I'm assuming that what they're using is a spice oregano and not the natural flavor oregano. They will always put in the word natural flavor. So they'll go vanilla natural flavor or orange natural flavor. So you will know exactly when they're using a natural flavor versus the spice. Um, so if you see a spice in there, like, you know, oregano, that would be fine um, as far as I know, as long as you tolerate that well. I hope, I hope that clarifies the question. Um, so again, the reason you want to avoid these mistakes is because they can result in you either not being able to complete the elimination diet or ending up on a super restricted un and therefore unhealthy diet. You do not want to be on a restricted diet. You want to be on a full body diet with a few foods and then some people more, that's true. But again, over time, you're going to as your gut heals from being off of these triggering foods and off of the foods that initially caused food sensitivities in the first place, the hope is that your gut heals and over time you may be able to reintroduce other foods in small amounts. Um, so again, one more clarifying question. No, it was sauerkraut, no spices listed other than natural spices. Wonderful, I think that would be absolutely fine. That sounds like a very nice sauerkraut. What you want to look out for in sauerkraut is sometimes they add preservatives. I don't know why, because sauerkraut itself is a method of preservation, but a common one I see is polysorbate 80. Uh, and you see that too in pickles. Um, so you just want to avoid those chemicals in these foods by the sauerkraut without those chemical additives and preservatives if you can. Um, and so I hope that helps. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night. If you like this and you're catching this on the replay, please save, uh, share, and subscribe. And I look forward to seeing you at the next episode of the Wild Wisdom Show. Have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. <laughs>